0: All right, well, good morning once again. Morning. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 10? You know, us, we want to welcome you. It's always good to see new folks here. Just to let you know that we are working our way through the Gospel of John here at Calvary on Sunday morning. We just do it verse by verse like we do every study uh, here at Calvary and Elk Grove. And uh, we uh, are currently in John chapter 10. Where Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd. Now, the question that we kind of raised last week is why should this topic interest the person in our modern culture who has no firsthand knowledge of shepherds and sheep? I mean, I think many in our country, if they heard that you went to a church or are going to church, a church where uh, we're studying a section in John's gospel and calling this series the Good Shepherd series. well <laughs> they would probably say how does that relate to anyone I mean how does that have any relevance in anyone's life today? Well good question, but let me just say this as we've said this in prior studies and that is that um, everyone has a shepherd. everyone has a shepherd. everyone, has something or someone that is guiding their life, that is controlling their life, that is ultimately shepherding their life. Now, ultimately, the there are only two shepherds in the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan. The Lord Jesus Christ and Satan. Those who have given their lives, lives to Jesus know full well who their shepherd is. But those who have not would vehemently deny that anyone, especially Satan himself, is controlling their life. What they don't realize is that the enemy, called the enemy of our soul in Scripture, but the enemy is often a subtle and secret shepherd who leads a person's life unbeknownst to them through what we'll call a variety of under-shepherds. And this would consist of things like money. Jesus said that uh, money or mammon, is a master in many people's lives a master of their life controlling them and there are those who have completely given themselves over to the pursuit of beauty uh, especially in our culture it's become very uh uh surfacy physical uh you know the the quest for beauty and now with the cosmetic surgeries you see them advertised i never saw that in the tv before That's being advertised all over the place as people are obsessed with their looks. It's uh, something that is controlling them, leads everything they do almost. Uh, We see that uh, power is another one that uh, is uh, leading and controlling people. If you've been paying any attention to this current political season where we're moving up to the 2020 election, you have people that are vying for uh, this this uh, nomination of their party's uh, you know nomination to run for president um amazing what they're saying uh you know it's like do you really believe this i mean some of the stuff is absolutely crazy they'll say anything to get elected but you know you have people that are driven by success uh, success pleasure whether it be sexual or material pleasure or both Uh, Alcohol, drugs, Uh, we just see an epidemic today, even with religion and the occult. The occult has gotten to be a mainstream thing today. Um, People often don't realize that these are all under-shepherds of Satan, which control he uses to control and lead a person's life, not to the green pastures where Jesus leads his sheep ultimately to heaven, no, Satan as a shepherd wants to lead people to the lake of fire or hell because as a shepherd, the devil, his whole purpose in a person's life is to steal, kill, and ultimately destroy their soul and hell for eternity. Look again at John 10, verse 10. Now, of course, we read Psalm 23 in the course of this Good Shepherd series, uh, which began with the words uh, Psalm 23, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Of course, the Lord is the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. But, uh, you know, David was boasting, you know, uh, when he said this, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, you know, he's saying, look at who my shepherd is, (laughs) my owner. It's the Lord, you know. The good news is that anybody can become one of Jesus' sheep. He's inviting the whole world to come. Uh, He wants to be everyone's shepherd. So, you know, I mean, that's, you know, David is saying, hey, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, but anybody can have Jesus as their shepherd if you just reach out and receive him into your heart. And, of course, we know that from Scripture and from our own lives, what a tender and loving shepherd we have. The prophet Isaiah expressed this when he said in Isaiah chapter 40, He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom, and will gently lead those who are with young." That's our shepherd. One pastor put it this way, said, and I quote, Why should you relinquish control of your life to Jesus? Because he loves you and died to prove it. He said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And in another place he said, greater love is no man than this. Than to lay down his life for his friends. Not only this, but as my creator, he is the only one that is qualified and has the right to lead my life. At Calvary, Jesus demonstrated the deep desire of his heart to have fallen man come under his loving care as he himself died in our place. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, we read, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. The author finishes, It's only through him that I can enter in and become a member of God's flock, God's family. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he or she will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, end quote. Philip Keller, who was himself a shepherd for many years, Recalls an incident in his classic book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. If you've never read that book and would like to know a little bit more about what goes into being a shepherd and how difficult it is to take care of sheep, I encourage you to read that book. But uh, he said, and I'm quoting him, in memory, I can still see one of the sheep ranches in our district, which was operated by a tenant shepherd, a hireling. He ought never to have been allowed to keep sheep. His sheep were always thin, weak, and riddled with disease and parasites. Again and again, they would come and stand at my fence, staring blankly through the woven wire at the green, lush pastures that my flock enjoyed. Had they been able to speak, I am sure they would have said, Oh, to be set free from this awful owner. This is a picture, Keller said, which has never left my memory. It is a picture of pathetic people the world over who have not known what it is to belong to the good shepherd, who suffer instead under the control of the wicked shepherd, Satan himself. He goes on to say, How amazing that men and women vehemently refuse and reject Christ as their shepherd, fearing that to acknowledge his ownership is to come under the rule of a tyrant. The good shepherd who loves and laid down his life for the sheep, who came to seek and to save that which was lost, has only the good of the sheep in his heart. I could think of so many worse things than to commit my life to someone who created me, loves me, died for me, and wants to lead me to green pastures now and forever." End quote. And so, folks, once again, let me just say that everyone has a shepherd. Everyone is being led by someone or something that is ultimately controlling their life. The issue is not, do I have a shepherd? The real issue is, what kind of shepherd do I have? And where is it or he or she leading me? Now, as we have been studying John 10, Jesus is pointing out that there are bad shepherds that people surrender the control of their lives to. And then there is the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus himself, who alone can lead their life in the right path, the path that will ultimately lead to heaven and eternal joy. And so if you look at verse 11 once again, Jesus simply began by saying, I am the good shepherd. And what made Jesus such a good shepherd, besides, of course, the fact that he is God incarnate, is that he was willing to die and eventually did die To save the sheep. He said in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. As we said last week, the Greek word for, for, there, verse 11, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, is the word huper, which means not merely on behalf of, but actually in place of. In place of. It's the idea of rescuing the life of another at the expense of your own life. Jesus is saying that the good shepherd gives his life in place of the sheep, in place of our lives. The soul that sins shall surely die, God said. When Adam sinned, he sinned for the whole human race. All of his descendants would be born fallen sinners. And as such, the wrath of God would be abiding over every one of us. And when we would die, we would be cast into eternal fire and hell forever. That was our destiny. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus became a willing substitute who died in our place that we might not have to be condemned in hell forever, but would have everlasting life as we put our faith in him. But Warren Worsby said, and I quote, Jesus did not die as a martyr killed by men. Oh, no, he died as a substitute willingly laying down his life for us he made that very clear in verses 17 and 18, where he said, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. Listen. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. No one takes my life, Jesus said, well, obviously. No one could force God incarnate to die. He was a willing sacrifice. Those people who claim that Jesus was just a man who went around making big uh, claims about himself, got himself into hot water with the Jewish authorities who eventually gave him to the Romans who killed him, but was never intended. It was all just a he got himself, you know, made a lot of statements that were just, you know, kind of big for his britches and got himself crucified. Absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. When they came to arrest him there in the garden, remember? The night he spent the night in prayer, Garden of Gethsemane, before they took him to the cross. Remember the soldiers came? And in a very commanding voice, they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Are you Jesus of Nazareth? And what did he say? I am. That's the name of God, by the way. The same one in Genesis 1 who spoke the entire universe into existence. Are you Jesus of Nazareth? I am. What happened? They were knocked over like bowling pins. Scrambled back up to their feet. You know, maybe not as, you know, as a a harsh a tone this time. Uh, Are you Jesus of Nazareth? I am. Boom. They went down again. What was Jesus doing? He was showing that he was not a victim. He was in complete control of the situation. Nobody took his life from him. He gave it freely for the sheep. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. Oh, that's a great statement. We'll look at that more next time. This command I have received from my father. So guys, in general, a good shepherd back then put the needs and, of course, the lives of the sheep before his own. However, as we pointed out last week, not all shepherds were good shepherds. Not back then and not today. For many, it was nothing more than a job. That brings us to the bad shepherds. We saw the good shepherd. How about the bad shepherds or the hirelings? Verse 12. But a hireling, he who was not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep. Let me stop there. As we said last time, usually the shepherd was either the owner of the sheep or a son of the owner. Now, once in a while, they did have a daughter who became a shepherdess. Uh, But it was a dangerous job, and so usually it was the the men. Okay, So either the owner himself or one of his sons became the shepherd of the flock. And if the owner had no sons, had no children, he himself was maybe elderly or too sickly to be a shepherd. He lived out in the fields uh, for months at a time. Very difficult job. He would have to hire somebody to shepherd his sheep. That person was called a hireling. Now, because the hireling was nothing more than a paid employee who didn't really own the sheep, no vested interest in the sheep, and therefore had no real love for them, when thieves or predators showed up, he would often choose his life over the sheep and run away, leaving the sheep on their own, defenseless and vulnerable. Jesus said in verse 12, But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming. And leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. It's only a job. Only a job. Let me stop here and clarify something. If the scribes, Pharisees, and chief priests, in other words, the religious leaders of Israel are called hirelings by Jesus in this passage... Well then who or what do the wolf or wolves represent? Now if you remember Jesus called false prophets wolves in Matthew 7. Let me stop and say this, a prophet is anyone who claims to speak on behalf of God. You could say a pastor, an evangelist, a teacher of some kind, all right? Anyone who claims to speak on behalf of God will just lump into that broad category and call a prophet for our purposes this morning. All right. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 15, uh, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, as we have pointed out in the past, when you read this, you might think of uh, maybe a a cartoon, right? Where you see the wolf and he's got the shepherd, excuse me, the sheep uh, outfit on, on top of his body, you know, with the head on top of his head, right? And, uh, you know, when we have wolves and and they've come into our church and sit in the congregation and get to know people before they spread their nefarious false doctrines or whatever it might be, they can do enough, enough damage, right? But really, in this context, what I believe the Lord is saying is a wolf who comes dressed in sheep's clothing, well, one of the perks of being a shepherd was you got to clothe yourself with some of the wool. And I think what the Lord is saying is beware of shepherds. Beware of false pastors who come dressed in sheep's clothing, who come looking like true shepherds. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruit. When Jesus called the religious leaders of Israel hireling shepherds, it was because they were not false shepherds. I mean, God had called them the chief priests, and the scribes, and even the Pharisees. God had called them to be shepherds of his people. He didn't mean that they were false shepherds. He meant that they were bad shepherds. Bad shepherds. When Jesus said in verse 12 that a hireling was not the shepherd, he meant that a hireling was not the owner of the sheep who was the true shepherd of the flock. He made that clear in verse 12 after he said, uh, a hireling who is not the shepherd is one who does not own the sheep. <clears throat> Understand that the owner of the flock was, of course, the one who had purchased the sheep. He was the owner. He was the true shepherd. Although sometimes he couldn't physically carry out the job. So he would hire somebody to be a shepherd to his sheep. But he was the true shepherd, the owner, who had purchased the the sheep out of his own pocket just like jesus christ the good shepherd purchased his sheep with his own blood you can read first peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 1 corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20 to get a flavor of that but listen to me a man hired by the owner to shepherd his sheep listen was in fact a shepherd but these hirelings were often bad shepherds, and that they didn't put the needs of the sheep ahead of their own, like you would, like a good shepherd would. Instead, they often used the sheep for their own selfish interests. You can read again Ezekiel chapter 34. It talks about how these bad shepherds of Israel had uh, were abusing God's flock. In that regard, though, they did. Use the sheep, but they didn't love the sheep. They didn't take care of God's sheep, especially they didn't feed God's sheep on his truth, his word. A good shepherd loves the sheep more than he loves himself and seeks to feed them faithfully on God's word. I do not understand a pastor who does not feed his flock. Now, every pastor claims that they do feed their flock. I'm not talking about opening the Bible reading a verse and then using it to springboard into a whole 40-minute uh, thing of, of anecdotes and personal s- other stories and, and 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 so on and so forth. I'm talking about opening the Bible and teaching it, and we believe the only real way to get the whole counsel of God is to go through it verse by verse. That's what we believe, what we're committed to. But I don't understand a shepherd who does not feed his sheep Because that alone is going to protect them from the devil's lies, which are intended by the devil to steal, kill, and ultimately destroy people's lives in hell for eternity. Jesus told us this, that the truth of God, his word, was a protection against the lies of the devil. That's what wolves are. They're they're, they're not just false shepherds. They come with false teaching, false doctrine which if embraced, can damn a person's soul to hell for eternity. But Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples truly, and you shall know the truth of God, and the truth will make you free. It will set you free from Satan's lies. It will protect you against the lies of the devil. The only thing that can counteract the devil's lies is God's truth. The only thing. So the mark of a bad shepherd is that he puts his needs and often the need to be liked or popular or prosperous above the needs of the sheep, which always then inevitably will turn him into a man pleaser. And when he becomes a man pleaser, is no longer a faithful shepherd slash servant of Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10? He said, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Pastors, you got two choices. You can either seek to please men, or you can live to honor and please God. That's all you got. But a good shepherd faithfully leads, feeds, watches over, and warns the sheep, and I'm taking that directly from what Paul said, himself a pastor, elder, and apostle, when he talked to the Ephesian elders one last time as Paul was on his way to Jerusalem, didn't know if he was going to be killed there. The ship set came to port in a place that was about 25 miles from Ephesus, the place where Paul spent most time he spent anywhere, three years. He loved his church. He loved the elders of the church. He sends a couple of guys to come and bring the elders to where, I think it was Miletus, where Paul could talk to them one last time, encourage them, and, uh, ch- and um, challenge them. And in the course of, of doing that, he said, Look, remember this. God, Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. chief shepherd. You have been called by him to be his under-shepherds. Now remember something. You better take care of his sheep because they belong to him. He purchased them with his own blood. They're precious to him. They better be precious to you. You better not abuse God's sheep. But you need to love them and take care of them and faithfully feed them, as I have done. And then as he's about closing up, as he's finishing up his admonition, he says, look, he says, it's your responsibility to faithfully lead the sheep by example to faithfully feed the sheep by teaching them the word of god to watch over them to protect them care for them when they start to stray to grab them and bring them back into the fold and also and maybe most importantly he said you are to warn the sheep when the wolves and their teaching come and try to invade your church You have to be strong enough to withstand those wolves and, using the word of God, drive them from the fellowship. Jesus warned us to beware of false shepherds. And these false shepherds or prophets that Jesus referred to in Matthew 7, listen to me, were never called by God to shepherd his people. They weren't shepherds at all, but wolves, really, masquerading as shepherds, as pastors, uh, leaders, evangelists in the church, elders. Okay? Yeah, you had your bad shepherds, those that God had called. Okay, had called. In fact, you know, there are those people that God has called to shepherd his people his people. They really do have a call of God on their life. But at some point, unfortunately, tragically, they start putting their needs above the needs of the people that they have been entrusted by God to watch over and care for. When that happens, they often become nothing more than professional shepherds, hirelings, men who really don't care for the sheep Maybe they did at the beginning, but they don't anymore. It's no longer a calling. Now it's just a career, a job. They're only in it to make a living, to collect a paycheck, and so on. And because that's where their mindset is now, they have to protect their career at all costs, and so they become man-pleasers, man-pleasers. Those whose goal it is to build the biggest ministry they can by keeping their preaching man-centered, felt needs-oriented, uplifting, and, of course, positive. I'm so sick of that word in the church today. All the church growth companies, you know, it was a church about an hour north of here about five years ago that wanted to grow their church. So you think they went to the Bible to find out how God wanted them to do it? No. They went and borrowed $150,000 against the church's building and property, gave it to a secular consulting firm to come teach them how they could build their church. You can imagine what it consisted of. I'll give you the core of it. Keep things positive. Keep things positive. Don't step on toes. Don't ruffle feathers. Especially not your biggest givers. Don't mess with them. Basically, placate. Don't preach to penetrate, placate, as opposed to the Christ-centered, hard-hitting, cross-bearing teaching from the Word of God that, you know, steps on toes, challenges people to stop living in sin, repent, and get their lives right with God, no matter how much money they give the church. It is a tragedy and a travesty when pastors will tailor their messages water them down because they don't want to offend the biggest givers in the church a few years ago i heard a true story about one of our calvary pastors who one of the people in his church one of the the guys in his church that was one of the biggest givers came to him one sunday after service and threatened to leave the church take his money with him if the pastor didn't tone it down the pastor didn't stop hitting this subject so hard which probably a sin issue I don't know if that pastor capitulated or stood his ground. Can I speak from personal experience? A year ago, we had our biggest giver in the church leave. In part because he realized his money was not going to buy him influence here. He expected, I never knew this, but it came out. He expected to be given an eldership position because of all the money he gave when i explained to him we don't do things like that here hey folks we appreciate everything you give this church because we use it for the work of god we know you work hard you 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 don't have to give it here you can give it somewhere else we thank you for the generosity we see uh, in the people of our church but we have always operated under the simple axiom where god guides he provides and when things get tight, we don't come to you and beg for money. We just pray. Often you don't even know the need. The leaders, in Egypt, we just pray. Because it's a test. It's a test to see if we're going to run to man for help or we're going to go to our God. And I just want people to know, if you're giving money to this church because you think it's going to buy you some kind of influence or position of authority, Well, let me just say this right now. Keep it. Or find a church somewhere that is open to that because they're out there. But we're not one of those churches. This ministry is not for sale. Not my ministry, not my pastor's ministries, not this church in general. That's not how we do things here. We only do one thing, and that is to to teach God's word in a way that will honor him and be the, the most... Pure representation of what God is that we can possibly, you know, present to you. So guys, Jesus talked about the hirelings. They were the bad shepherds. Called, but not faithful. But then there are those who are flat out phonies. Masquerading as shepherds. Those that God had never called to be shepherds of his people. They are the false shepherds. We read in Jeremiah 23, verse 21, of these so-called shepherds. God said, I have not sent these prophets, these shepherds, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. There are, well, the church is rife with false shepherds. Men who were never, and women, who were never called by God to shepherd his people who come wearing the cloak of a shepherd, but don't have the heart of a shepherd. It's not about loving the sheep. It's all about loving themselves and what they can get out of the sheep. Peter said they make merchandise of God's people. Oh, I see them everywhere. You read the news like I do. Did you read about a week or two ago about the Episcopalian uh, church lesbian bishop? who said homosexuality was fine because Jesus said absolutely nothing about homosexuality. I thought he was God. And didn't God have a lot to say about that in the Old Testament and the New through his word? You think she's a good shepherd? How about called but a bad shepherd? No, I think she's a false shepherd. didn't speak through her or the pastor I read about a year ago I had to check this out for myself it was true man's a pastor who said that being pro-abortion was a godly thing to be why because they weren't kids anyways in the womb they're just blobs of tissue you're not really killing a baby you're killing a blob of tissue Or as we said last time, these shepherds that see themselves as celebrities, who fly around in private jets, live in palatial estates, and really don't care about the sheep, love the sheep, feed the sheep, no, they fleece the sheep to finance their lavish lifestyles. These aren't bad shepherds. They're false shepherds. Wolves, as Jesus described them in Matthew 7, verse 15, Really, they're servants of Satan who come looking like true shepherds of God. Turn to 2 Corinthians 11. Here, Paul is talking about false prophets, but you could plug in false shepherds, false prophets. Anyone who claims to represent God He said in verse 13, These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ, as servants of God, as shepherds of Jesus Christ. But I'm not surprised, Paul said, even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light to deceive. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. (laughs) In the end, They will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Peter said, they're here, but their judgment does not slumber, it's coming. Again, these differ from the hirelings that Jesus spoke of in John 10 who were not false shepherds, they were bad shepherds. Verse 13, the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my sheep, as the Father knows me, Uh, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. As we have already said in this series, the word translated good means intrinsically good, through and through. I'm not just kind of good, I am completely good, because of course Jesus is God. And in him there is no what? Darkness at all. So when he said, I am the Kalas shepherd, the good shepherd, I am the only one who is intrinsically good through and through. And it describes that which is ideal, the model, the standard, for other shepherds to uh, imitate. Jesus Christ is the standard by which We are to imitate, right? I mean, as an under-shepherd, somebody that Jesus has called to shepherd his sheep, being the good shepherd, the ultimate example of what a shepherd is. I mean, I look to Jesus and I realize, you know, I don't think I'm a bad shepherd. I I know I could be a better shepherd. By looking at him and how he handled people, I'll be honest with you. Okay, Uh, There are some weeks I get burned out just very stressful weeks a lot of problems that I'm dealing with and people and serious issues going on in their lives and there comes a point where I'm kind of burned out and I just want to go hide somewhere you know I don't want anybody to call me I don't want anybody to, I don't want to see anybody you know just let me feel sorry for myself in private will you all right you know but then I think of Jesus who after he heard that his cousin John the Baptist had been Beheaded. He he was really hurting, and went off by himself, someplace, just to be alone. But the people had needs, and they sought him out, and they found him. And here he is grieving, and here's this big mob of people coming. Now, if that was me, I would have said, "What? Seriously? Are you kidding me? Can you give me a little downtime?" just really going to let them have it but but that's not jesus what did it say of jesus he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he ministered to them see he's the good shepherd and i look at him and i go boy you got a long way to be go to be a better shepherd but jesus is the example but in verse Verses 14 and 15, when the Lord said, I know my sheep and am known by my own, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. Four times in two verses, he uses the word know. It's the Greek word ginosko. Interesting word. It's a, a knowledge that comes by experience. It's not a head knowledge that you get from reading a book. It's experiential knowledge. It speaks of the very intimate relationship that exists between Jesus and his people. Many times this word is used of physical love. In fact, when they translated the Old Testament into Greek, 270 B.C., called the Septuagint, they translated this verse in Genesis 4, verse 17, with the word gnosko. We read, it says that Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore him a son. Obviously, it's not saying he first met her on that day or learned her name finally. No, it's, of course, speaking of a very intimate physical act that two married people enter into, a physical expression of love. The word is used in different ways throughout the Bible. Amos 3, verse 2, God said, Israel only have I known, which of course doesn't mean that Israel was the only nation God knew existed. It was his way of saying that of all the nations on earth, he only had an intimate love relationship with Israel. They were special. They were his people by covenant. We read in Matthew's Gospel that Joseph did not know Mary, his wife, until after Jesus was born. Obviously, he knew who she was. He married her. You remember how the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and planted the seed of God in her womb? That seed was growing, Jesus. And even though they were married, it says that Joseph and her did not engage in sexual uh, intimacy until after Jesus was born. And then we read in Matthew uh, 13, 55 to 57, I believe, and other places in the Gospels, they went on to have a normal family. Uh, the, the, the names of their four boys are given to us there in Scripture. And it says then daughters, or these boys had sisters. So they had at least six kids. We've talked about that. So in John 10, 14 And 15, the word no implies an intimate, loving relationship that Jesus has with his people, his by covenant, those who are saved and connected to him by the Holy Spirit, a very special relationship, a very intimate bond. This is exactly opposite to unbelievers who Jesus said in verse 26 of John 10 were not his sheep. And to whom he will one day say if they don't repent i never what knew you depart from me into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels in other words he will say to these people on the day of judgment i never had any loving intimate fellowship with you i never had a genuine oneness or connection with you and they're going to respond matthew 7 but lord didn't we go to church didn't we cast out demons didn't we prophesy didn't we help out in the local food pantry i'm paraphrasing they're shocked lord lord they were obviously orthodox in their faith they knew him as lord He says, I never knew you. These people had religion. They did not have a relationship. For all the years I grew up in the Catholic Church, I had religion. I knew who Jesus was, the true Jesus. I did not have a relationship. Now, I know Catholics would vehemently deny that they don't have a relationship. I'm just speaking as an ex-Catholic. I had religion. I didn't have a relationship. Maybe somebody's a Catholic and is truly saved. I've met a couple, but not many in the course of 40 years in ministry. The kind of knowledge that Jesus is talking about here that he has with his Father and has with those who are genuinely, truly his sheep, his people, is a deep, loving union, a spiritual bond. It's called fellowship, and the Greek is koinonia, from which we get our word oneness from. Now with that in mind, let's read John 10, verses 14 and 15 one more time as we bring this to a close. He said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my sheep. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus loves the sheep so much he's inviting everyone to become one of his sheep. The whole world he's inviting to come, be one of his sheep. I want to be your shepherd. I want to take care of you. I want to protect you. I want to lead you in the right path. This is his heart. And he wants anyone to come. doesn't matter how rough your background has been, how much of a sinner you've been. He delights in showing mercy to the worst in society. So that the rest realize no one is beyond the hope of God, the touch of God, the reach of God. No one who comes to Jesus and says, I want to be saved is going to be cast out, as he said. And he wants you to become one of his people so that he can have that deep, intimate relationship with you that a man desires to have with his wife. The question I'll leave you with this morning do you love him enough to want that also? Do you want to know him in that way if not, why not? Why not? As I said a few weeks ago, I know that all Christians, true Christians, love Jesus. Not all true Christians are in love with Jesus, you know? The difference, right? I love my sister, I'm in love with my wife. It's a it's a different it's a big difference. Jesus doesn't want you just to love him like you love your sister or your brother. He wants you to love him with, like a, a husband loves a wife or a wife loves a husband, husband, deeply, intimately. I mean, real love wants total identification and oneness with Jesus. I mean, his love caused him to lay down his life for us. How can we give him any less in return than full commitment? You know? Well, I like you, Lord. Okay? Hey, we're buds. You know, it might be your bud. You know? He wants to be the one that you are one with and who passionately love him as he loves you. One thing about true love for Jesus, and I'll just throw this out, we'll come back to it next time, it's absolutely linked to obedience. People say, I love God. Yeah, man, I love God. What are you laying and tripping me for? Telling me I need God. I got God. I love God. Oh, really? How do you manifest that love throughout the week? You go to church, read the Bible, pray, hang out with Christians? No, I don't do any of that. But I love God. You're you a little bit your boyfriend, girlfriend? Oh, yeah, but I, I, I still love God. Well, Jesus said, if you love me, John 14, 15, keep my what? Commandments. You tell me you love me, that's one thing. Show me. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they what? Follow me. They obey me. They go where I'm going. Now we're done. Let me just throw this out as a little teaser for next week, okay? A little cliffhanger, all right? A little hook to kind of get you back here. Verse 16. And, you know, I, I know my sheep. I'm known by my sheep verse 16 and other sheep oh i have which are oh not of this fold them also i must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd now we're going to look at this in greater detail next week but let me go on record right now and tell you up front what i don't believe Jesus is saying when he said and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. You know, I've actually heard people say that the the what he's actually saying. This is their interpretation that uh, Jesus was referring to aliens, on other planets. So I'm not kidding you. I'm not making it up. Like you know, I have other people on on you know, not of this fold, not of this world, you know, not of this planet. Well, yeah. Well, you would know because you're out there. You would know better than me because you're gone, all right? Can I just say, as humbly as I know how, no, that's not the right interpretation. I can just hear these folks saying, well, if it's not talking about aliens, then what was he talking about? He said, other oh, sheep and so on. Well, come back next week, we'll see. Come on back next week, we'll see. I'm coming only because I want to hear where that other sheep are. i said, well, fine, just come on. Just come back next week, all right? All right, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our good shepherd, truly good shepherd, who alone knows what's best for our lives, who alone can lead us in the right paths, who alone will protect us against the enemy, feed us on his truth to guard us against the lies of the devil. Father, we thank you. We ask you to keep blessing these studies in your word. We thank you for all this. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.